hey guys, heads up, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Visions, and we're going to spoil a bunch of stuff. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to what I think is our first bonus episode ever. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but before we got into the re- so- so-called regular release schedule of every every other week, this is the first time we've done something on an off week, and I'm super excited because we have a guest who, uh, I'll say, uh, a prodigal a prodigal member <laughs> because uh, she used to be on the podcast and then moved on to greener pastures, I guess. Anyway, before we get into that, though, hello, I'm James. I'm your host again. Uh, and joining me is Nick, who you all know. Mm-hmm. I'm not the prodigal podcaster. <laughs> Glad to be and here. why don't why don't we have you introduce yourself now that I've hyped you up this much? <laughs> Hello, everybody. I am Agnes. I am an editor at Anime Trending, and I used to be a member on the main podcast before I had to switch to Girl Taku because of work conflict schedules. So this is, I guess my latest debut question mark <laughs> because uh, i love star wars and i love anime so let's get to it yeah let's get to it well before we get to it it's time for uh our chart check because even in even in bonus content we cannot escape that which is anime trending's bread and butter the chart check this is i think the last one of the summer season this is the week 11 charts um mostly because the fall season has already started Woohoo. Um, which is what we'll be recording next week, actually. But anyway, uh, I'm going to run through our top 10, and we'll kind of comment on anything that sticks out, maybe reflect back on some shows. But in first place is Remake Our Life. Second place is That Time I Got Reincarnated as a Slime Season 2 Part 2. Third place is The Case Study of Vanitas. Fourth place is Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid S. Fifth place is The Duke of Death and His Maid. Sixth place is Tsukimichi, Moonlit Fantasy. Seventh place is The Detective is Already Dead. Eighth place is Battle Game in Five Seconds. Ninth place is Fina, Pirate Princess. And tenth place is a re-entry is How how a Realist Hero Rebuilt the Kingdom. Any any thoughts? Because I've got one, but I'll wait till till everybody else shares theirs. I mean, it seems like it was a pretty solid... Uh, lineup i mean compared to what we had last episode i mean it was only a one week difference but i think if you look at the amount of time everyone stayed in their perspective places um remake our life is at the same spot three weeks in a row vanitas same spot solid third two weeks in a row like i think it kind of just finally settled in um yeah well it it's funny you say that because we've got, you know, a bunch of shows that stayed in the same place. First, third, fifth, and seventh all were the same as they were last week. But then, and we've got like plus two and minus two for a bunch of other shows. But we have a brand new entry in literally the last week of the charts, which is Fina, Pirate Princess. That is like the most exciting one because like I think, um, I forgot James, you, you saw that, right? Where um, Production IG sent out a tweet, like I think... Was it Maki Terashima, president of production IG? Uh, yeah, Maki Terashima Ferrara, and I think one of the other producers of the show was like, hey, we made it. We made it on Anatrends, so, like, yeah, that means a lot to us. I mean, we're pretty excited. <laughs> They're pretty excited. Pretty excited. So, a lot of excitement, so thank you to all the people who supported the show. And um, Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of production IG stuff. and um, So wholesome. Mostly, also, if I remember correctly, the group that did, like, the, a lot of the production staff on FINA is the same as... Uh, one of my personal favorite shows, Be the Beginning, 
uh, season, season one. one. Yeah, it has season to two. put in. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> have to. Season like, one. <laughs> I was about yeah. to be like. <laughs> beforehand, uh, he would have just said be the beginning, but instead of now, he has to say season one for uh, season one. reasons. Pain, Paco. <laughs> anyway. But yeah. What, what an interesting way to end out the season. Yeah, it's uh, pretty Agnes, do you have any... So now we have the... Uh, uh, Agnes? Yes, oh, I'm here. Yeah, Hello? Sorry. Do you have any any comments on the on the last chart of summer? Or is it just like, um, ugh, out, out with the old and with the new? I've been gone for two weeks, so I have not been <laughs> watching anything. So I just look at <laughs> these charts what? and I'm like, oh, hello, 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 how interesting. <laughs> valid. That's, that's super valid. Although I do echo your sentiments with uh, Fina, Fena, because I remember watching, I think, like the first five episodes of being like, yeah, it's all right as a show. It's not anything super remarkable to be a top 10, but it's like something that you can watch while eating popcorn. Yeah, it is. It is. It is one of those. It, it's an inter- it lives in an interesting world um, because it's it's very consistent and it's consistently good in terms of like animation and all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but sometimes shows that are consistently good just don't have that pop that you need to like get once you get onto the top 10 like for one of the ter- people pay more attention and might actually check you out a little more and so it's it's getting there that's the hard part and then once you're there it's a little it's a little more different it's a little easier i guess oh absolutely yeah and that's why the charts are there for a reason <laughs> yeah sadly though this is like the one where if you look in the non top 10 aquatope on white sand dropped four places it w- it went from number Oof. 10 to 14 at the very end which is like kind of sad but also like i think critical reception wise it it has been doing fine so i think it's one of those weird cases where i feel like the the votes might not necessarily reflect um necessarily like what is like the best show according to critics um same thing with sunny boys i think sunny boy dropped a lot of discussion this season now that it's finally over and now people have to like rewatch that like three times to figure out what what was even going on what this happened entire show. yeah like i was me writing, with odd taxi <laughs> i was right odd taxi at least like medi and i could like make a whiteboard and just write down every single character's interactions to figure out what's going on like sunny boy i tried doing like a weekly write-up series and like by week three or four i like could not keep up because there was so much to unpack every episode i really enjoy the show it's just like i don't know if i I don't know if I get it at the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, if you read, uh, I read Gracie's article for Sunny Boy because I was editing it mm-hmm. during my two week break. Um, and I noticed that I guess it's very heavily philosophical, which is why there's so much to unpack. But then at the end of the day, you don't really have answers. Whereas like Odd Taxi is like a mystery from the beginning until the end. It has a conclusion. Yeah. yeah. So like you, so with Odd Taxi, you can actually connect the dots yourself and then feel accomplished at the end because you're like, wow, I get it. There's an end. But with Sunny Boy, there's no end because there's no real answer to any of their problems. Which like big philosophical truths there. But yeah, I like Odd Taxi because it makes me feel like I have a really big brain. (laughs) (laughs) Big brain IQ. That's what we all live for. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's a couple shows that kind of fell from favor in the last week. I'm looking at Aquatope and being like, yeah, that's a bummer. But then, like, right underneath it is My Next Life is a Villainous Season 2, where it went from 9th to 15th. Like, it dropped six places. Yikes. And I do not know why. Uh, neither do I. I would have to probably ask Gracie, one of our content creators, about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I I was so out of the loop for this last season because I was away for the beginning, like, five weeks, and it's just so hard to catch up. I feel that. Anyway. I understand that. But it's a new season with new shows, and continuing to rely on the word new, we have news! Ah. That's the that's the greatest stretch you'll ever have for a segue from me. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was supposed to make a sound effect. Is it, like is it new news but or I'm... is it old news? Like uh, the news? new news. I don't have I don't have any more I don't have any more odd taxi updates because the campaign for the uh for the Blu-rays has ended and the emails for voting for the character songs got sent out and I still have to Oh, I still have to actually pick mine. Um I'll do that probably after we finish recording. Uh so rest in peace, anybody who wanted to try to influence who I vote for. You're not gonna, you're gonna do any of that. The rest of the staff might be able to convince me, but it's still gonna be Dolbu and Shirakawa. But moving on, actual news, like news news, that that other publications reported on that I barely know anything about because I don't play video games. <laughs> Does somebody else want to take it before I Nico, go into ahead it? and take uh, it? <laughs> yeah. So. Uh... Yeah, so they announced the last Smash Brothers character. It's uh, Sora from Kingdom Hearts, that, that little game that I never played, but it's uh, Mr. Yeah, Mickey just some Mouse. small indie affair, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird because it's kind of like the end of an era. Um, and at the same time, like the same day, the, the Nickelodeon Smash game also released. So, like, <laughs> you got everyone playing. That's int- that, that was actually pretty interesting. It's kind of jank. Like, I'll, like my my tiny segue is that, like, I have played a little bit of it with some friends, and, like, it's a little jank, but also, like, kind of fun. So, like, it's it's fun on both ends. So I'm really excited to play the new Final Smash content, huh? And then... Nice. All I just remember from the Final Smash content before Sora was mentioned is Dante as the me costume character, <laughs> and that was such a disservice. I It was actually surprising. I am honestly... I'm not surprised, but I'm also surprised for, like, two reasons. Like, the first one is that no matter who they announced, I, f- I thought that there'd be a huge subset of people that were going to get so disappointed regardless of who it was going to be. Like, from the last character pass, they announced uh, Byleth from Fire Emblem Three Houses. And so at oh, this yeah, point, because right. Fire Emblem had, like, a, a trillion reps, like, people are just, like, free- we're freaking out at that. Because, like, at that point, people thought that that was going to be the last character for the whole game itself. Um, Mm -hmm. and since like in the new character pass, when they were just kind of upping the ante with like Minecraft, Steve and Banjo-Kazooie and everything else going up, it was like, you didn't know, actually Banjo was probably the other one, but the the point is, is that like the the only two I thought that was going to be in that was like, was, was either Sora from Kingdom Hearts or, or Master Chief, like someone that was going to be like so ridiculous and like so multi-platform that that would be like the only way to like stop anyone from i guess being inevitably disappointed that somehow waluigi is like not the last character which i i I would have been so like it would have been funny like i'm not gonna lie it would have been hilarious no that makes sense yeah you have to add like that one little gag before you release the final final character and then you close it off so i guess it does make sense yeah that Mm -hmm. and it I guess in a way, like, Dante himself is honestly a very goofy character in the entire franchise, so it fits kind of nicely, and it's just a meme in itself, actually. Yeah. Featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many comics, like, fan comics spanning on Twitter once he was released of Dante bragging to the characters in DMC5 about how he got a slot in Smash Bros, <laughs> and then when he actually plays the game, he's, like, actually defeated, and everyone else is laughing at him. 
I mean, I, I, <laughs> my only tangent is that they also put in Sans from Undertale in that same kind of idea as a me costume. And like, again, that actually would have been, was fine because it was hilarious because it probably didn't take that much development time. And like, it didn't take like a physical character slot in people's eyes. Like if people are like, yeah. oh my gosh, Sans, right. it was, okay. Mr. It was Sans, like me, Undertale Gunner is in this game. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not like... I think the biggest, and this is my very vague recollection of like characters getting announced and people's reaction to it. I think the biggest one was the character from Arms. Oh, oh god! Like nobody, nobody played Arms. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So Smash is done. Uh, Smash is complete. We can all move on now to bigger and better things. Don't even need to play it. Don't even need to play Sora. It's over. <laughs> but yeah. now that we can talk about the next Disney thing. Oh, that's such a good transition. I was going to make some jokes about how the mouse just took, like, Sakurai's, like, left arm. To be <laughs> I mean, it probably um, did. Poor Sakurai. I saw, I saw so many memes of, like, Disney sharing profits for Sora. And it's that, it's that scene from, like, the Three Musketeers where they have that, like, loaf of bread. They cut a slice that's transparent because <laughs> that's how thin it is. Oh, God. Yeah, no, actually, you're not wrong about that. But that is a great yeah. segue into one of Disney's biggest IPs. That they bought from somebody else. Yeah. Poor Squeenix. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, enough beating around the bush. And besides, Agnes already mentioned it uh, at the beginning. It's time to talk about Star Wars visions dun, dun, um, dun. yeah uh this was nine shorts yep yep it feels weird calling them shorts because while i didn't watch all of them i know one of them is like 20 minutes long which is just basically a full episode like of an anime at that point i guess you could say like they're more like ovas if anything yeah o- or onas i guess is the correct yeah. term because it's a net animation onas but yeah, so a bunch of studios, seven studios, I'm, as I read from our own article writing about it, which I will link in the podcast description. Uh, and let me type that into the chat real quick so that I don't have to re-listen to the entire podcast to remember what I'm supposed to link. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Star Wars Visions was nine shorts or ONAs that were produced by Japanese animation studios utilizing things from the star wars universe this was a super like kind of creative thing to do i don't know i doubt any of it's canon no besides they're all vignettes that are so far removed okay Disney none of it's canon. It's canon lame uh <laughs> me too I also <laughs> actually said no, lame. huge bummer um but these are all kind of like standalone vignettes that expand what star wars can do I think it is kind of the the best way of of explaining it is it pushes the envelope on what people think Star Wars can be, which is good because uh, the last trilogy of movies we don't speak about broke no trilogy. broke no new ground didn't do like anything revolutionary or when they tried to push the envelope the fans apparently revolted so hard that they immediately backtracked. We only the have an hour. <laughs> That's right. There are only there are only three Star Wars films and they are titled Star Wars, um Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi. There are no episode <laughs> numbers. No there is nothing CG. It's all practical effects. And they came out in the late 80s, mid to late eighties, and that's the last time anything Star Wars happened ever. Except for Clone Wars. Yeah, Clone Wars. Anyway, 
Um, but yeah, so we watched them, and I say we, collectively all of us have watched all of them. Um, and there's an article that I mentioned earlier where we kind of give a little mini review, but that is us with our like reviewer hats on, and this is us with our fan hats on. And by fan hat, I mean the propeller beanies. Do you ever take off your your reviewer hat though? Like, I do because there are. You know what? I'm just gonna lay it all out on the table. I I am watching some. I am watching sh- short shows that I ha- should not be critiquing because they are they do not exist to be critiqued. They exist to fulfill some more primal base. <laughs> expectations for and i'm watching toa on monday and gambare doki-chan is what i'm trying to say here i see Um, i i thought you were about to say yamishibai and i was like i I was about to say i totally agree with you that show is a masterpiece (laughs) i need to actually get caught up on yamishibai i stopped watching after season six because i it it turns out that that show is less entertaining when you're not watching it in a group (laughs) <laughs> and more scary when you're alone. <laughs> I am alone in my apartment. I don't even have like a roommate oh, to assure me that there aren't actually ghosts living underneath my sink. <laughs> so moving back anyway. to the Star Wars. Uh, so what do you, what do we want to talk about? Um, we all we all watched them, and we all much like how parents evaluate children. We say we all like we like them all, equally, <laughs> but that's a total lie. We all have our favorites. So, real quick, before we get into, like, deep analysis, why don't we just talk about, like, rapid fire, what everybody's, like, one or two favorites are. And I'll go first, and I'll say The Duel. The Duel is my favorite, followed immediately by, I think, Akakiri, even though Village Bride is, like, super close behind it. Those are good picks. Those are very good picks. What about you, Nick? I will counter that with... I do agree, Akakiri is probably within my top three. Um... I think objectively the ninth Jedi is the one that my opinions, I think matched up with kind of like the universal consent. I think people consensus, like people really, really liked the ninth Jedi out of the whole batch. Um, I also really like TOB one. And I think I like that one more than other people. I think that's because you, yeah. (laughs) You're a bit biased. I think that's because you're you, Nick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I, I will literally watch anything with Science Saru, especially because they they make really good shows every time. Just like this season with the Heike story, now streaming on oh, Funimation, it's so good. produced by it's so good, it's so good, good show. All right, all right, Agnes, how about you? Uh, hands down, my favorite is still the Ninth Jedi. As I screamed into my review section of uh, the <laughs> you article, into I yodeled. I, I, I mean, Nick heard me on call when we were watching the Ninth Jedi. I think I sounded more <laughs> like a wild beast than a normal human being. Um, but I say that for my second best, it's a tie between the Village Bride and Lop and Ocho, only because Lop and Ocho gives me a lot of Star Wars Rebels vibes. And although I didn't like Star Wars Rebels, I like the concept that they used in it. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, the whole concept of like Empire invading your home world and you're like normal people. What are you going to do against the Empire? Because we didn't really see that in between episode three and episode four of Star Wars, with the exception of maybe like Rogue One. But Rogue One is very is a little bit too close to episode four and people doing things rather than the normal people trying to live their life in the empire Mm -hmm. yeah it is it is 
all of the films, none of them have anything to do. Like, there's very little focus on the regular members of the citizenry within the Empire. Because let's be perfectly honest, that doesn't make for entertaining films if you are trying to tell an awesome cowboy space epic instead right yeah because everybody wants because most people just want to be the jedi they want to be the force sensitive or like the sith lord but nobody cares about being like the normal citizen who's actually the story is much more compelling because they have to deal with like do they do they want to be empire sympathizers do they want to rebel or do they want to like stay quiet so that they can eke out a living to the best that they can. You know, it's very, it's much more complex. And that's why I think I like Lop and Ocho a lot more. Yeah. I, I, I'll go for it now. I was about to say, I was actually going to like, like do an alley-oop to you because it was when I, I was down on this episode a little bit. I thought it was a little bit more boring on the premise, but until James mentioned a lot of the historical context with Lop and Ocho, specifically with like, kind of like, the more imperialism uh, mm-hmm. vibe that the empire yeah. has combined with um, the fam- the the patriarch guy, the dad's um, his whole unwillingness to let go of like the old ways and how that kind of linked into Japanese history itself. Um, yeah. I, I think like, and I, I mentioned it, I think maybe to you, Agnes, or maybe to somebody else who's like, Oh yeah. Imperialism. Oh, no, you, like, yeah, you definitely called, mentioned it to like, me DMs. <laughs> the bad guys are called the empire dingus. Of course it's imperialism. And I was like, Ooh, oh, yeah. hadn't thought of you know, a smooth braid moment for me there. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, the thing, the thing that stuck with me at least is because this is like Japanese animation and Japan has such, I want to say like a unique experience with imperialism as far as, when they kind of when the west came a knocking uh it was very different for them than i think a lot of other um like countries that have been influenced by european or western imperialism because you know you you have a lot of that of like all right yeah and then and then and then the europeans came and oppressed the native population and you get a little bit less of this when it comes to at least japanese history just because Japan had already advanced pretty far and it wasn't like the West was like a new concept. They'd been trading with the Dutch for centuries. And so like they knew, they knew people were out there they knew they had things. I think. So at that point it was less of like a hostile takeover and much more of like that political and economic one, which I think is more, you know, gives you more of that, situation in Lapanocho where it's the empire isn't here to just like kill everyone and take over it's ah they're here and they're trading they're integrating a little bit with the native you know the natives of this planet and that's where the conflict arrives it's not like oh they're brutalizing us in the streets it's an actual discussion of do these foreigners actually bring benefit or are they a net negative to our way of life and that's that's even different from like how the village bride presents it where instead of it being imperialism it's more like these are raiders that are taking over this village and yeah they're bandits that live in the mountains i I, I still think the power dynamic for both i mean there is still the like the the soft and loud military threat where i think in la pinocho if because there there were the people that were rebelling against the um the empire integration then like that that does cause a lot of the issue within the conflict that could um, devastate that planet. But it was more like upon the threat, it's easier for for both sides to just not go with that. And that that's like the conflict, I guess, with um, with with between the two sisters. 
Yeah. Is is one goes, no, this is the future. Uh, the future is now old man. And then, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's progress versus, I'm not going to say stagnation, uh, because that's not at all what the situation is, but it's like reckless progress or like thinking, you know, forward without consequences kind of had, you know, headlong rush into, into the future, as opposed to maybe a more measured, wider worldview i don't want to call it like conservatism because i don't think that's a good description of it but it's definitely not somebody intentionally being a stick in the mud because that's the way it's always been it's an actual weighing of pros and cons yeah because i mean there was a lot of change that that the empire could bring up and it's it's scary i mean yeah mm -hmm. i mean we talk you all know like from at least just perusing through basic star wars lore that the empire promotes itself as a a much more militaristic body that can protect planets better than the the republic did or the the separatists did so with that in mind a lot more people would feel a lot more reassured about going under the empire and even then the empire was the body of government that took up after the republic basically ran itself into the ground with the whole war against the separatists so when when the when the republic elected space hitler yeah basically uh i mean space hitler based uh paul Bettine just elected himself and kept himself in senate for the whole time so yeah but i you know i i i think it's cool that you know basically what is a glorified fan project dives into into some themes that you know make you think i guess absolutely yeah also, it's really pretty. Yeah, it's very pretty. I remember, I think Mel was watching it um, after us, and he also mentioned how Lop and Ocho look really, really pretty, especially with the sak the Sakura trees in the background in the final fight, and the choreography from oh, Studio yeah. Genos, which is actually pretty surprising, because Studio Genos has been like a little bit flat on the animation side of things, rather than mm -hmm. uh, big powerhouse studios that marvel people with its animation. And also yeah. that Speaking fur of... animation too. <laughs> that's a yeah, little bit hard to animate. That's a little bit it's... impressive. I know that it's more for three D animation than it is kind of this two D setup. But like hair and water are the two most obnoxious things. Like things that flow. Oh yeah, yeah. That must be a real pain to actually animate. Yeah. You were gonna say Nico. What was I going to say? Uh, regarding Lapinosho, um, the main thing I think. I mean, that kind of ties into Star Wars is the the hesitancy to change because a lot of things in Star Wars tend to stay the same for a long period of time because of just how so much of it is tied into traditions in the old ways. Um, and you, you tend to see that conflict in a lot of the shorts as well as a lot of just the other outside material, which is kind of like another way that like the themes within Lop and Ocho tend to tie back to combining to be both anime and Star Wars. And that that's mm -hmm. what I think some some shorts I think did that better than others. Like um oh gosh, what's a good example? Uh scored by our lovely friend Mr. Kevin Pankin of Kinemis and God bless by Kevin <laughs> I know it's like uh this is our this is our personal bias showing, but also I think this one had pretty high critical reception as well. Um, one of the things that kind of stuck out with this one is we're we're following um, a village, a bride, uh, 
but it's a setting where you kind of get an alternate view at the force um, with a village that lives more in tune with nature and i thought that that kind of fit within the um the music um as well as like some of the details that were in there that that episode was really interesting for longtime fans and i think it was with agnes that um when she explained some of the uh the side details that were going on in that episode that i think some people could miss if you didn't know like the outside um connection i think that really made that yellow episode lightsaber, really interesting. yellow lightsaber yellow, yellow lightsaber, lightsaber. lightsaber. <laughs> yes <laughs> The yellow lightsaber, the flashback, the mask that she wears, and the whole parallel to nature and the force is so much more compelling than a basic standoff between like a Jedi and a Sith, personally, in my opinion. It talks and it, it's it's kind of interesting because the village bride almost feels like one of those shows that gives backing to the prequels as much as the Clone Wars did. So it felt, I don't know, it felt really satisfying watching The Village Bride. <laughs> I love, I loved your explanation when you're like, wait, I think that flashback is this one scene. And then the lightsaber color matches it with it. And it's like connecting all these dots. And it's great to see all those connections because it really integrates this story into the rest of the Star Wars universe. And it really shows how I liked that it. homework too. Yeah, it shows that it shows that either somebody had to do a ton of homework or the people that made these are, again, really big fans of Star Wars and would have just been like, I know this and I think other people that have the same amount of knowledge as me will appreciate putting in this like super niche reference. That's one of the things, you know, it's one of those like, if you know, you know, kind of uh, mm-hmm. kind of moments. So what, what is this for outside people? What is this the the significance of our Jedi hero in the village bride wielding a yellow lightsaber? So for people who don't know, the yellow lightsaber is associated with two things. The first one is lightsaber colors are associated with types of people and the, I guess, like occupation that you do. So I believe blue, uh, green lightsaber is for purity. So you look at Luke, who has the green lightsaber, Ahsoka, who had the green lightsaber in her Padawan years, and then blue often represents Jedi who are warriors or people who have great um, martial skill. So you look at Anakin, you look at Obi-Wan, they all had blue lightsabers. Yellow lightsaber in particular is connected to seeking the truth or seeking general knowledge and the lightsabers are normally reserved for a specific group of jedi called the centennials that guard the temples at the guard the jedi temple before the fall in coruscant so the fact that our main character has a yellow lightsaber connects the two dots of one she was probably a padawan centennial maybe who was serving the um in the Jedi Temple before Anakin or Darth Vader comes in to slaughter everybody. And then two, the fact that she's on this quest to kind of like find herself in a planet that does not preach about the ideals of the Jedi or the Sith, but preaches more about finding truth within the Force, which is something that F lacks as she tries to navigate through this world that is mirrored by like politics and the looming threat of either this empire or remaining separatists. Yeah, exactly. So it was almost like a blink and you miss it moment where she has her flashback. People are shouting in the background like, 
get stop that guy from doing the thing and it doesn't show you anything but then it's like once you realize that it's like oh she had the centennial lightsaber that that means that she's probably having that flashback right when anakin and the the stormtroopers are attacking master skywalker what do we do exactly (laughs) oh god that is a meme that will never die and it never it's so good (laughs) unlike those kids Um, i i liked it because the like mysticism nature thing oh absolutely um, yeah that too much better than midichlorians i almost swore i'm sorry (laughs) yeah uh the 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 great thing is like the village bride takes that mysticism concept that is shown a lot in star wars clone wars but not necessarily in like the prequels and the sequels and the and the originals which is really nice to see yeah, I just think this is the first time I saw like a, a non like red, blue, green lightsaber. Oh, yeah. yellow. I thought yellow and all those other colors were for either like people making OCs or uh, Samuel Jackson. <laughs> wanted mean, a purple lightsaber. Samuel Gosh, Jackson darn it, making one. his lightsaber purple <laughs> is a pretty OC move. He was just like, I'm going to I am Mace Windu. This is my OC persona. And I'm going to make him have a purple lightsaber. And you can't say no to that. <laughs> But then purple also has its own meaning, right? Cause yeah, like... the the purple and uh, Mace Windu's style is very particular, which reflects now into, I guess, segues into the Ninth Jedi, because there is a change in lightsaber color from red to purple. Is purple just like, despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage, just like barely restrained anger? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that like, moment was she... pretty cool in, in the Ninth Jedi, because it's like the guy's lightsaber because it goes from red to purple kind of signifying that it's like i don't want to just describe it in D terms but like it's easiest to explain it as like you're lawful good but you might not necessarily know what is, what is actually the right thing to do but yeah. you are very convicted in your moral mm-hmm. would that's, that make you lawful neutral that's basically what mace wouldn't do was um, in a lot of, the, in, if you read the like the pre, if you watch the prequels and also I guess like other side content, he really is like that. Like he's very very lawful good, but it's very close to an extreme sense that it could almost become Sith like. Yeah, it kind of almost like retcons the like why did Mace Windu decide to confront Palpatine alone outside the law? You're right. Where yeah. it's like, oh, he actually was like, oh, when Palpatine's revealed to be. Um, a Sith Lord, it's like, oh, I'm I'm gonna just take my, my homies if we're gonna go get them, like, right now, because like, it's scary and dangerous and there's no time to, like, wait and we'll be justified in whatever we do. It's funny, though. I just Ooh. liked how that one went. I like that. Ends justify the means. Yeah, the ends justify the means. That's how Mace Windu was like. And I think that's what they kind of wanted to reflect in that final character in The Ninth Jedi when his lightsaber went from red to purple. Mm-hmm. I haven't actually watched the Ninth Jedi, so it is a great, great one. It's so it's funny so though <laughs> watching it; like it feels like it's it, it it's the most pilot feeling episode out of all of them. Where I'm like, they could totally make this their own series, like based that's on what a lot of people said in the comments. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of where I was getting it from. Where it was like, I I think that one does have enough potential. Um, because it kind of ends where, like, on a cliffhanger where you don't know where they're going to go next at that point. But um, it was a really interesting one. Very surprised. A lot of bamboozle. Um, I thought that that one had the cleanest writing. 
Um, and again, we were shouting like the whole time we were watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like yodeling and Nick was like holding his head. It's like, what's going on? What's going on? And then we and showed then it we... to Foe that night. And then yeah. he was like, like, even he was like, oh my gosh, this whole, this is a crazy episode. He said something like <laughs> right before it. that started. And then you and I were like resisting to laugh because we knew exactly what was going to happen, but we couldn't tell him. <laughs> what what <Yeah>. was it? <laughs> He was. I I don't remember if he made like an an Among Us reference or something like. Oh, oh yeah, he did something like something sus, and then we're just like Lamau. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> Lamau. It was like so hard to keep quiet. I was like DMing Nico on the side, like he doesn't know. Anything. He doesn't know, and I was waiting for the moments where, like, once it finally got to the twist part, like he just he lost it. And it was really yeah, we funny. all lost it. It's you so can, good we're in spoiler game. mode. You're allowed to use characters and actions. Uh, you can't just be like, oh, when okay. the guy did the thing. Okay, yeah. So so what happens is that the whole premise of the episode is that a bunch of Jedi um, are trying to get lightsabers from the Margrave, who says who sent out a transmission saying, okay, to everybody, I've got lightsabers. And it's at a time period in the universe where lightsabers have not been seen in a really long time. So it's basically a myth, ooh. yeah. So anyone could get that message, and so at that point in the episode, it's like um, they're trying, like a girl's trying to get the shipment of lightsabers to the Margrave, um, but he's a giant metal robot guy and looks incredibly sus. Um, it, it's just like he's just a—he almost looks like he's wearing like a skeleton on his head. Like it's kind of oh, like the, the imagery I'm convoking of like, oh, this guy's incredibly suspiciously looking evil. He looks like the villain from Sao uh, Gun Gale online. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Death, <laughs> he death basically gun. looks like that, like death like gun. very, <laughs> very like skeletal, but like metal plates and has like a big coat or like robe and a hoodie. So he looks like. He looks like the Death Reaper. He's very menacing. Mm-hmm. All the better to hide these extra lightsabers to cut you up with. Yeah, and so once they finally get the lightsabers to them, and it's like you're thinking that it's going to be a trap, and so once all of the Jedi end up equipped with their new lightsabers, which conveniently do not show the color until the user is actively wielding it, um, literally all but one turn red, and you're thinking, oh, Every single person in the room was a Sith the entire time. <laughs> oh my god. And so the Margrave was actually... Cause, because he sends out the message to literally everybody like in the universe. Like anyone could pick up that transmission. So like it could have been like a, a point where people are deceiving each other. So like when they all turned red and it was going to be like an immediate fight scene as the Margrave emerges from his robot exoskeleton that he was just hiding in the whole time. Like it... It was just, it's just an incredible fight scene. Incredibly well written because I guess it was basically like, it goes from being a trap to still being a trap, but also like, like a double reversal because of like how the Jedi were actually Sith and how the Margrave was actually plotting a trap to make sure that we he catches any of the other Sith that could have been among them. Oh my god. Yeah, it was, it was really great. And Heck and bamboozle. Yeah, and the fact that the colors play such an important role is a very creative twist on the whole Star Wars lore regarding the kyber crystals. Oh man, kyber crystals. I I I don't know. I I kind of hate how much they're 
mythologized because I'm like they're just dumb rocks that that I make mean, the lightsaber. The Kyber crystals power the Death Star, so yeah. Do they? There were. I think there was a, a mention somewhere that a lot of the that's why they harvested Ilum, the planet where this the Jedi harvest the Kyber crystals from. Mm. And oh, they do they do that? A lot what? of planets for them too. I think that was like. Was that a detail from Rogue One, or was that just like a? Because I, I don't I felt remember like the first time I read it somewhere though. I felt like the first time I was introduced to the concept of Kyber Crystal was from Rogue One, but also I didn't really watch as much Clone Wars as I objectively should have. I mean, you watched more than me, which is none. So. <laughs> Y'all yeah, should watch Clone that. Wars. It's seven seasons. <laughs> it's totally worth it. Set aside a month, and you'll finish it in a month. Trust me. <laughs> I don't have a month. You'll find yourself a month. I mean, I, two weeks during your Christmas vacation. I watched, let me just like... fail out of grad school real quick so that I can. You should because so I, I mean watch. I was watching the uh, the two D one that was like, the guys who did school. Samurai Jack. Like the art style on that one is really jank, but also I love I love Samurai Jack. So it's kind of just like if you just love pure action oriented show, That's pretty like, rad. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. My thing on Kyber Crystals was like this was when I was a wee lad, uh, and and did not was less forgiving about like perhaps what I would call whole flaws in like a universe's logic. And my brain's like, why do they change color if the color is dictated by the color of the crystal that goes in it? Uh, uh, <laughs> and then I should have realized that I can just ignore any plot conveniences by going and the force is magic. And there we go. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Star Wars and... has a lot. <laughs> Uh, and a lot of building story flaws in general, which is why you have so many comics, side stories, movies, films, and animations that try to cover up those plot holes in the first place. So I don't blame your young mind then for being like, Kyber crystals. It, it, That's also why midichlorians are dumb, because it takes away the magic power of the force to just do stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, pretty much, yeah. I mean, the, the whole concept of the midichlorians being introduced in the prequels is kind of stupid, but it, it, we just deal with it at that point. Most people, I think, kind of forget about the mitochlorians and focus more now on like the idea that people can be force sensitive, regardless of what your mitochlorian count is. Mm-hmm. I was I was tra- talking a lot about kyber crystals, mostly because um, I was thinking about the twins, mostly because that's our promo. Oh God, for the, uh, <laughs> the twins! The thumbnail that show the thumbnail that shows up when we do uh, when we have when we link the article because I think it's our our feature image. Oh, the twins. You know, Trigger combined good concepts. It just looks very lacking to us because we've been so saturated in Promare. I guess. I mean, it was very much like, oh, okay, this is cool. But if I wanted to watch kind of the the red versus the blue, I would would just go watch Promare again. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, because we've all seen Promare, or at least seen so many of the visuals posted everywhere that it's not very... We've become desensitized to it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Versus a lot of people, at least like in YouTube content uh, comments and also in like in a lot of different videos, people really like the twins because it took that really wacky concept from, what was it, episode 8 of hyperdriving it into another space shuttle and breaking it. Oh god, I love that. Yeah, they so they took the that, only good thing that out of, out of, out of <laughs> like this. I mean, no, actually a lot of people would say that it was super stupid. 
that's that's the weird dichotomy is that people who watched the sequels said it was a really dumb concept but people who watched the twins and shoved that in with uh the wackiness of imaishi's uh brain from premiere into the twins people love it it's so weird it's because of the animation, because it's just like, I mean, they did other silly things in that episode. Like, they were standing outside on the, their Star Destroyers oh, without yeah. helmets on. And then, Talking. like, when they were recovering the, the people from the fight, like, the robot was wearing a a helmet in space. So, like, they're very aware that, like, some of the visuals were kind of ridiculous, but that's kind of their peak brand. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we're jaded but it's also like i i think on rewatch i i enjoyed the twins a lot more than i think i did the first time um i think i have it higher than both of you now but that's only because i felt like i turned my brain off at that point because because I, I feel like with imaishi I, I i love his stuff but i also love i mostly love his like incredibly x-rated stuff like with um uh, what is it? Deadly sex and violence with mock speed and dead leaves. Like I, I love it when <laughs> it's just like absolutely like insane because I just want to see what goes on in that guy's brain because it's so overwhelming to me. Um, yeah. Whereas like that's the primary style yeah. is a little bit safe, and that's kind of how this one felt. But it was yeah, this felt like a very safe, um, safe choice. And I think I'm a little down on it mostly because I think it was one of the last. I think I watched like four or five of them, and. I think it was like one of the ones I watched towards the end. And so this is after like starting out with the duel. I was like, all right, this <laughs> yeah, is, is going to be, I'm ready for just more of this. I want this moody atmospheric, you know, uh, kind of, kind of fight with minimal, minimal flashiness. And then going from that into something like Lapanocho, which was like, all right, yeah, we get some cool action things, but there's really like heavy theming going on here and making me think. And then the village bride of like, Ooh, Kevin Pankin music over a beautiful landscape and Agnes freaking out about like all the yellow lightsaber <laughs> in the flashback and then going from that into the twins, which is like, and there's space violence. It's not that space violence is bad. It's just that I had been set up to expect something I think that required more of my brain. And like you said, Nick, just turning your brain off makes you enjoy it a little more. It depends that on this, the sense, episode yeah. too, because some of them required more brain power than the, than others. I mean, you even glossed over the, uh, Tattoon Rhapsody, which <laughs> is the, the, the boy band one, which I really enjoyed that one. People, some people are like, what the heck is this? But I felt like it was silly enough that it also tied back into Star Wars because of how Star Wars tends to use a lot of music in Tatooine because of how like the whole um, the iconic cantina bar scene as well as the kind of infamous uh, episode six uh, Jabba Palace scene with that dance number that's like incredibly cursed um, <laughs> which is really funny considering like how like they really like this this punk rock band um, Jabba just has like the weirdest music tastes that I kind of admire like that he's just like that guy who just listens to like everything everything you know? he's just yeah have you heard have you heard my new favorite band it's a combination of bluegrass and techno and it's like excuse me yeah yeah now <laughs> right, playing, you now playing tonight in Jabba's palace right after the weird yeah. scary lip monster <laughs> <laughs> and then you toss in like a boba fett and then everybody goes kind of crazy because everyone loves boba yeah it's my favorite drink 
Um, I think the funniest joke we had with Tattoo and Rhapsody at the beginning was like the opening guitar rift sounds like the guitar opening to Fwafwa time from K on. That's right. We're like I'm like, wait, what? Like I was like almost like like uh like a Pavlov's Pavlovian reaction to that. I was just like, Kami Samada Like I was like about to rock it, but then it was a different song and I was like, wait, I I love that. Honestly Tattoo and Rhapsody I like because, as I mentioned at the beginning of, like, talking about visions, I think this is the one that pushes the envelope the most. Yeah, yeah the- I think mm-hmm. so. And it's just very charming in itself, too. Like, it's not something that's, like, super bloody or, like, super dark or moody or atmospheric. But the Padawan is, like, relatively young, and then he just kind of wants to, like, live his life under the Empire, but also trying to hide the fact that he's secretly a Jedi. So what what can you do, right? It's like the most anime out of all. Yeah, it's of them the most anime. It's the but themes it's of like charming. the power of friendship. We're gonna we're gonna do stuff together and positive vibes and yeah. I think you know. what most people didn't like about Tatooine Rhapsody was the fact that the kid used his lightsaber as a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's absolutely how like a teenager would use. Uh, actually, that teenage the teenage <laughs> rebellion of like, what is the correct use of this thing? No. I'm going to do something terrible and sacrilegious with it. It's like how rebelling teens will like, I don't know. That's true though. Like how many of us during when we were teens, like singing to, I don't know, like My Chemical Romance or something that was like, take a hairbrush somewhere or something that was like relatively long and just pretend like it's a microphone. Yeah. I mean, singing into a banana at lunchtime. Yeah, there you go. All things considered, I think that kid kind of came out pretty okay, considering, like, the first scene shows him on, like, a ravaged battlefield running for his life from battle droids, so... Yeah, and then then his, uh, what is it, his, the, their, their band leader almost gets executed. The one good hut, yeah, like, the one (laughs) good hut almost dies. And at the end of it, they have a gig playing for uh, playing for one of the most notorious and influential crime bosses in the galaxy. Yeah, which means as long as you stay in his good graces, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Exactly. Jabba is very much like that old town mafia guy, where it's like, all right, you're under my protection, which means if someone messes with you, I'll kill them. But also, you have to do what I say. (laughs) And we love that about Jabba. That's why Jabba is treasured in Star Wars. Yeah, treasured. I think the one thing, though, is like, I think people were more down on this one just because it was after the tone setting duel, because it's mm. so much like the Akira Kurosawa films that, like, is just direct homage to that. And just, it's it, that one uses so much style, and you're just like, wow, this is so cool. And then you're like, wait. Inspired by Akira Kurosawa in space comes Akira Kurosawa in space. Pretty much, yeah. The three we haven't talked about yet are the two science Saru ones and the other trigger one, the elder. I don't think what I watched Akakiri, but I didn't watch the other two. So let's I'll, talk about Nick, Akakiri. You take it away. Okay, let's talk okay. about Akakiri. Okay, I really think, want to talk about that one because I one. I definitely know that Nico really likes Akakiri, but a lot of the Star Wars community or the general community that watch Visions kind of felt eh about Akakiri. I don't understand why they would feel eh about it. It's so good. I think it's because, well, the thing is, it's because they see it as a very predictable path and that it reflects too much of Anakin's path from the prequels. 
Yeah, I, I can see that, especially because it ends where he's trying to escape his fate and he eventually succumbs to the fate, just like how Anakin does. But then it, in a way, he's trying to save the woman from dying, I guess, who was also a princess. So like, like the parallels are like really, really uncanny. We were just like, right. I mean, I remember making a, have you, have I ever told you a story of Darth, Darth Plagueis the wise joke when that was going on? Um, but I, I say to you, all you haters of Akakiri, to quote George Lucas directly, it's sort of like poetry, you know? It rhymes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the whole theme of that one was, like, escaping fate, and there was so many characters in that episode that, like, accepted the fate. Like, we're the two partners who seem to be lifelong partners, I guess, and, like, one of them is missing in the spooky, scary death straight, and he's just like, oh, I guess he's dead. Okay, God's willed it. <laughs> and then the Jedi's like, no, please, I'm gonna go save him. And because Subaki's too much of, like, thinking... No, I'm going to stop fate. And then by trying to stop his fate, he ends up causing it in a little way. Yeah. I will see what I really like about that as far as like, you know, trying to stop fate and causing it is there is much, there's so much of just the four, you know, the four of them trekking to this location uh, is so much of it. And there's not the like, evil influence like it's not like he's constant like it's not like our our jedi guide Tsubaki's like having the emperor literally whispering in his ear like every time they go to the opera to be like oh let me tell you that you know i know that you're feeling bad about this let me offer you this tantalizing thing you don't get that until like the very end right yeah um which which i think changes it from like a slow corruption over time to just t- attempting offer Mm-hmm. yeah because it's almost like hey you probably should turn to the dark side like right now because uh your your your, your princess lover is like actually dying right now <laughs> yeah like it's like more it's... immediately he has to do it rather than like rather than like being so afraid of what's going to happen that he turns before the event um yeah so yeah like i think i do think the parallels like make the story not as great especially because like there were so many other shows that i think have much tighter writing on that i think Mm -hmm. the smaller details i like i mean i love the science art style like people people sometimes don't like the weird faces like that the people make like especially with um, i love the weird faces like like, this is what makes people unique i know exactly it's like the faces are so unique and the sharp edges everywhere like just like how devil man like the designs from that um or even um not science saru but enough science saru people like with with ping pong the animation um i love the faces in that kind of show um i also like the one thing was like the uh kind of more contemporary setting it has um where it almost felt like the least star wars element besides the fighting at the end yeah like it could have been literally any you could have put that in like any setting except let at the very end there is a discussion of light side dark side lightsaber okay cool yeah i I almost could say the same thing with the duel where it was like it it really is like so much like a period kind of piece um i think the elder does that as well um surprisingly a lot of people are like really big on the elder and i think by the time we had watched all of them in just one batch i think we were kind of bored with the elder because of the duel (laughs) i mean the Elder has a lot of problems, and I tried reading a lot through the discourse of people who like reading The Elder, but I still can't get behind why they would like The Elder in the first place. 
and it's not based on watch order, but just how the whole premise introduces itself. Oh yeah, because uh, when the, yeah. the the master and the Padawan are just in a ship talking, and then the Padawan's yeah, like, "Wow, master, you're like the greatest guy ever. We've been together for this many years, and you're the best <laughs> at tracking." Like it was like, "Oh, this is kind of how robots talk." It's literally the most. <laughs> I, I mentioned this in my my inner my review about the Elder. It's literally the most banal thing that comes out of the prequels. Where it's just endless talking, it's, but they don't it's really that get scene to it. when Obi Wan and Anakin are in the elevator exactly. talking about the yeah, 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 exactly. It's that scene. Setting. Like the, it was a homage to the elevator scene. It was like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if it was a homage, they would have done something. I feel like they would have done something more clever. But the writing, they put at them least, in like, an elevator. We we saw we watched that one in English because that was the only one that was available for the screener. But it just felt really flat. Compared to the other series that had a much richer, I guess, English transcription over the Japanese one. Yeah. I think it's interesting how some of them we were actually able to, like, watch in Japanese and with English subs and the rest are like, nope, you get an English dub. Yeah, I mean, well, Disney provided what they could to us, so we just watched what we could. And I guess that's okay. the other thing that I... Somebody actually pointed this out in The Elder, and I thought it was an interesting discourse, how in Star Wars, they usually talk about with age, you actually gain more experience and that you become, I guess, like a lot more OP like Yoda is. With age versus in The Elder, it shows something very different in which age is, uh, it is- Ha, old. Huh? Ha, old. Ha, old, yeah. (laughs) Um, Age is is the limiting factor and it's the thing that equalizes us even in death. So I think people were saying like they were a little bit divided because one, the Elder is a great homage to the prequels, but two, it kind of contradicts a couple things that Star Wars talks about, and it really brings down, I guess, the threat level of the Sith Lord, which I guess is what the Elder is trying to do, but it's not a very good execution of it. Do Do you think maybe because the Elder Sith is just constantly been angry for far longer than a Jedi would, like that would just mess with his insides you know like like opposite uh, of positive I mean, thinking being I mean, so angry you give yourself an ulcer angry sorry cursed uh we, we'll put a footnote in that i'm looking at maul who's like constantly angry from like 10 plus years throughout like clone wars and rebels and i don't know man i don't think age really does anything to your insides from that point on it's Maybe more Maul of like just, because doesn't maul get like robot legs though like yeah he got robot <laughs> I mean, he legs didn't live- and- that much longer after he got the robot legs. <laughs> no, he did. He did though. But not yeah, not as long because... as like how the elder is. Like the elder oh, Sith yeah. guy. I think is the like elder the elders I think the elder as a Sith Lord is not based on anger, but the desire for power and prestige. Which is why like well, he's, he's like, like he wants to become out. a lich. Yeah, he basically wants to become a lich. Um uh, which is why like he's constantly honing his powers and constantly battling people. Rather than kind of like accepting his death, or like Maul, who like has greater aspirations in life, take over the whole galaxy. That's right. Just you wait, Mom. Second thousand. I guess end of the day, though, the Elder feels like an episode of the Clone Wars, where you have many times where it's like Master teaches Padawan a lesson. Like I yeah, feel like that is much. like a really basic structure. Either if it's like a novel or an episode, like it's just. <laughs> Okay, the lesson is people get old at the end. People die when they're old. 
I'll tell you when you're older. (laughs) Basically, yeah. But it also kind of felt like it was watching an episode from uh, that Tolboron Netflix show. Oh, Neo Yokio. (laughs) 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 With just the dialogue, that's like really sad for the English dub. I don't know. I was watching it and I was just like, man, he reminds me of the main character in that show. That's it, Padawan. You don't deserve this big Tolboron I had prepared for you if you were going to learn your lesson properly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so after I got that mental image, I was completely checked out of the Elder. There we go. Alright, we've got one left. It's time for Astro Boy Star Wars. Yeah! I love Astro Boy Star Wars. People Save did the best it. For They're last. like, why is this look ugly? And I say, no. Die. Yeah, die. Power word kill. <laughs> it's so cute. You can't say it's ugly. It's so cute. <laughs> like, that's the cutest looking that. droid, even compared He's to like, a little Kaiba looking nugget and the. the Old man looks like Ochano Mizu and it's great. Yeah, it's so cute and it's so charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, I mean, the character designs are all parallel from Astro Boy. Um, I think what makes the animation work really well is the fact that, like, the droid design is so soft and fluffy that it allows, like, the motion to be uh, more fluid in a believable mm. way. Um, That's a good point. I think with, like, a live action, you couldn't do this because it would just, like, you're like, why is this, why is this droid literally doing backflips and stuff you know it like it would look too kind of clunky and, and uncanny in yeah some ways. it's pretty jank um, i mean we have like a, what is it cp3o as the as the main like humanoid C-3PO? looking droid huh yeah c3po c3po yeah you said cp3o c3po well we'll let the recording figure that out. c3po there you go um he's like super stiff and all the other robots or the droids in general are very stiff so yeah you're right about how tob1 is very much more fluid and then, like, I don't know, it's got the cuteness. I mean, I, I loved when Science Sarah tends to do this um, with, well, I mean, they didn't, Science Sarah didn't do it, but other people did um, with, with Kaiba. I mean, that's the first thing I always think of is just like, ah, I guess a soft, fluffy show that actually invoked way too much darkness in my brain. Um, Look, I'm going to lure you in with adorable visuals and <laughs> rip your heart out through your eyes. This is my, like, one side. tangent, because Kaiba, I mean, it was, it was under Madhouse, but it was Masaki Yuasa who ended up building all of, pretty much, most of Science Hour with along with Young Choi. Um, but, like, the thing with Kaiba is, like, it's so soft and fluffy with, like, Astro Boy-inspired, like, visuals. But then it's set in space, and there's some really horrifying stuff, like guns that, like, turn people into, like, goop instantly. And so it's, like, these things of, like, you're seeing soft, fluffy characters, like, basically evaporate each other in some scenes and you're like oh my god <laughs> like yeah um, that's pretty pretty intense tob1 or toby is like not not dark uh it, it is sad in that one moment when the professor sacrifices himself when he keeps him safe and he's like i and when he when he says the phrase he's like i'm the force and the forces with me or something oh man i teared up like, dude. i was like <laughs> I we're just like we, like dr- dramatic we're like no because <laughs> like everyone knows what's gonna happen to poor professor mitaka at that point um yeah it's like oh that's the line they say right before they die and there was some really hype like kind of lore-breaking moments but also it fits with the theme where it's like he's the the, the droid's the jedi he's learning how to use the force he got a cool backpack as like his upgrade, so now he actually could fly around like Astro Boy and with a lightsaber. Like, yay! Hey, 
We only lightsaber isn't restricted only to organic beings. I mean, like General Grievous is mostly robot. Yeah, not a Jedi, but still got to like do cool lightsaber tricks. Oh yeah, I mean, like they they talk about in Star Wars, like anybody or anything could technically hold a lightsaber, and because yeah. like the lightsaber is not like triggered because it's in the hands of a Jedi, but it's like a basic mechanism with like the kyber crystal acting as I guess the fuel that turns on the blade so you just basically click a switch and it turns on like a flashlight so anybody could really wield it like toby did and general grievous i want a lightsaber if i had a lightsaber though i probably would have cut off one of my own hands oh yeah same here yeah (laughs) that's just not safe (laughs) (laughs) but i guess i don't have good enough what i like about tob1 is that it really reminds me of this is spoilers for ruby or rwby the web series by rooster teeth but in ruby penny the um kind of like the automata or the droid in the series becomes uh a maiden which is a mystical concept sort of kind of like how like the jedi use like the force and stuff like that she was gifted these powers by someone before her and before it was only told that humans could be gifted the powers of the maiden but now she as a droid can wield it and she has a soul and so that is very i see that clearly in tob1 and how toby can wield the force he can become the jedi because he has a heart and soul which is a very touching concept that's the biggest compliment of ruby i've ever heard i know i know exactly and then that that's where <laughs> sorry that's where it ends right there <laughs> that's where the similarities I, end we if you have me for another podcast to talk about ruby it will be an hour long of me just yelling about here here's the thing i don't need i don't need an hour of you complaining about ruby there's like a three and a half hour long age bomber guy video that i've already watched twice (laughs) there you go yeah but ruby aside toby's great it has a lot of soul and it's so cute it is it is absolutely adorable um don't sleep on it star wars visions so good it is very much like okay we we've got star wars visions more please yes more Um, please (laughs) I would, if, and here's the thing, though, I also don't want to, like, saturate it by saying, like, more, and Disney goes, okay, and then, like, commissions, like, a dozen series or whatever. I, I would just like more of these, like, ONA vignettes. I, you know, I disagree. Except the I Ninth want, Jedi, I want, more I of want that. more, um, and I want to see other studios take a crack at it. I think people were speculating. Oh, for sure, absolutely. What would I'd love to see other studios. look like with something like this? What would Madhouse do? Um... What oh about... man, if Madhouse I want I want Madhouse to do Redline but with Yes, like Redline! <laughs> oh I... Jinx knows me so well. And and it has to bankrupt their studio in the process. Yeah, it has yes, to they bankrupt have to the bank- studio. Yes. It has to go all or nothing for the mouse. I'm so glad um... Jason and I and you, Nico, are on the same page when it comes to Redline. <laughs> because we did a Girl Taku podcast about um what was it? I think it was oh, it was anime aesthetics. And I talked about Redline because it's so Redline's unique so good. in its alien like facial structures and everything. And it would totally fit in a Star Wars universe with how I like you got like Twi'leks, you got like all these like random alien races that look either a combination of sexy or downright ugly. I, I was rewatching <laughs> yeah. Space Dandy recently and we got to the episode where it's like the space racing kind of episode and like the whole time i'm thinking like man i just really want to watch redline now especially because like we should both do the characters uh, we should have pompadour redline oh my gosh every day is a good day to watch redline 
absolutely there there's a tweet there's a there's actually um i have it somewhere in my bookmarks on my twitter account but it's literally just maybe it's saved in my favorite photos i have i have to find it um <laughs> and it's a tweet that just is like a little ra- oh here it is yeah it's from yoshiro watanabe and it's it's just like that little rabbit like holding up a sign and just says it's a brand new day watch redline today <laughs> <laughs> It's it's so great. I will. I'll I'll see if I can find that tweet. And I'll yeah, put it the, retweet uh, it so that I can retweet it on my Twitter. <laughs> I have to find it. I took this screenshot on the twelfth of August, twenty nineteen. Oh yikes! Good luck finding it. Or search the original uh, poster. Just by their username yes. to see if you can trace Bruno, it. Bruno, I'm so sorry for all the keyboard keyboard noises. Um, one of these days. Uh, I will have a keyboard that makes less noise, but that also means that this um, fantastic investment in a mechanical keyboard that I made uh, would go to waste, and I also don't want to do that. I'll find it later. I'm not going to like waste podcast time. No worries. Take your time. Um, here's what I can do in the meantime. I can send it in our chat so you can look at it. Okay. Um, dope, dope. Because I, I have it saved in my favorites folder, where it belongs. <laughs> Sounds right, go. good. Anyway, so, um, welcome to Star Wars. Watch Redline. <laughs> <laughs> is, that the vi- is that the Vi tag for your post on the main anime trending podcast? <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be the episode title. I've decided it just Perfect. There. I um, love rotating it. Rotating moods. <laughs> so, but yeah, Star Wars Visions overall. Good. This was this was a good thing. Surprisingly, a good thing that came out of Disney. Yeah, I I had my reservations when it got announced because I was like, oh, the mouse controls all. Like I wouldn't. I was like, this is gonna be there's gonna be like severe restrictions or whatever. But they also they <laughs> they also you know apparently either you know we're okay with a lot more or they just gave money out and said go crazy um i'm hoping it's the second one i, I think it was the second more. one because tattooing rhapsody was the first um idea that was pitched and then they were like wow that's really cool do whatever you want and people are like oh that's why you have like uh so many different kind of varieties of of the show it's not like every single episode is like the lone ronin kind of uh style yeah, otherwise yeah. it'd be really boring at one point. Yeah, no, it, it really gets me in the mood though that I'm like, I really want to watch like so many shows that like this. Um, each episode is like reminding me of like with the running episodes. I'm like, man, I really need to go back and watch more of Samurai Shampoo or um, yeah, or you could just watch an Akira Kurosawa film there. That too. Oh, yeah, no, I need to yeah. get. Culture I'll come done. to your. I'll come to your. I'll come to your place and I'll bring a copy of like Rashomon or something. Okay, yeah, it's we'll, my, my just gonna fly unlocked. back home and abandon grad school. <laughs> I uh, look. It may not be immediately, but there is a thing called a winter break. There you go. And that winter I break, you can also to see... watch Clone Wars. Yeah, I could. I promise to see the family for the holidays, and I can make it. You know, I can. I can make some trips. For I, I, I was about to say that my family could wait for Christmas. You know, like we could just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can wait. For, my, your family can wait for Christmas, like my yeah. family did, uh, because my sister had a had a. Uh, uh, came back for the holidays last year, and her PCA she had a co- positive COVID test, so we had to lock oh, her in a room. Oh no! We had, to, we had to lock her in her room for two weeks, and we postponed Christmas until she was allowed to come out. Wow! Oh my god! Yikes. I'm glad your sister's she had, okay, though. It was it was pretty funny though because she had 
what was the old master bedroom like that became her room so she had an attached rest like she had her room and then an attached individual like bathroom with like a toilet and shower and everything so um my communication with her was purely over text and when it was time for her to eat we would drop we would drop a tray off in front of the door knock on the door walk out of the hallway and away text her that we had left she would then open the door and take the food in and close the door again at the end of every day just a pile of dirty dishes would appear in the hallway <laughs> that's kind of it was funny, great but... she was a prisoner yeah a little bit unfortunate that your sister she turned out that. she she was fine like asymptomatic and and everything was okay that's good yeah. it also meant that when she finally got vaccinated um she had a totally normal time meanwhile i was dying like the covid vaccine laid me out for a solid day oh yeah same here yeah i did go to work with that i didn't because i was unemployed oh lucky you i no money is good and i didn't have any <laughs> i mean but yeah, the unemployed part is not good, but at least he stayed home when you had the vaccine. Yeah. I went to work and it was, mine was so sore. My arm was so sore that I could not put on my lab coat. Oh, mine wasn't just a sore arm. I was actually having like a, like chills and like I had flashes. fever or like I was pretty feverish in my second shot. Anyway, COVID stories on. aside, uh, truly the bonus content to this bonus episode. <laughs> um Thank you so much for listening to this again, to continue using the word bonus, uh, or I'll say a different word. Our first supplemental episode. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, if you like this, let us know. There will be a tweet on the tweeter, um, uh, you know, where I post this. So like interact with it. I'm lonely on running the Twitter account. Sounds Love good. me. <laughs> Thank you for having me, by the way. Especially yeah, thank you for coming on. Strange hours. I'm so glad to be part of this. I could just scream about Star Wars. <laughs> it's and great. you guys too, because it's been a long time since I've been able to sit down on a podcast with you two. It really has, and I would I would normally be like, ooh, one of us should go on Girl Taku, but we're both very much dudes, and so that kind of I mean, Jack is on Girl Taku because Jack does yes. a lot of commentary for like Yuri related things. So yeah, if you Jack, have an Jack idea, though you is can like always a... pitch it to us. If I have an idea, I'm going to pitch it to the podcast that I host. Thank you very much. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like, let's Up just talk you. about, uh, like, I'll watch um, every single Tezuka-inspired thing. <laughs> just be like, let's watch. Just watch all of Astro Boy. <laughs> Actually, can we do, can we watch Speed Racer? I want to relive part of my childhood where we watch Speed Racer. Sure. Sure, sure. I still remember, I still remember the Mammoth Car episode. That, like, sticks out in my brain. Anyway, uh, and on that note... I'll bring this to a close because my God, have we run over time. So thank you for listening, everybody. Your regularly scheduled um, first impressions podcast will be out sometime, you know, next week when we record it. Uh, thank you to our editor, Renault, for editing yet another podcast. Um, catch you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>